we we get to Ephesians and we we kind of split the middle here, and uh, it's an an important dividing point, really. Uh, hey, Shannon, glad you can make it. <laughs> the, because the the first three chapters uh, really can kind of contain the doctrine. He he's sitting there explaining that. Jesus has made you a saint. He's made you perfect. He's made you holy. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. And then we get into the second part of the the, the book, the, the last three chapters, and he's kind of what we call, big seminary word is exhorting them. He's kind of encouraging them. Uh, and this is this is the hard part because... Uh, it really has to do with behavior. And I don't think that he's he's saying, you know, here's the law and here's the way that you're supposed to, to do things. But he's explaining, now that you have this spirit inside of you, this is what the byproduct, the byproduct of what you actually have is going to produce. And so he very clearly explains what that looks like. Now, chapters 4, 5, and 6 is about living a saintly life. So let's get into it. Verse 1, it says, Therefore I, prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Uh, I think one of the things that churches strive for is unity, unity of the church. And I've, I've been involved with several churches in the past where uh, unity was a priority. And so there was this stress about we have to do everything together, we have to da 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 I would say I'm past that. I still believe in unity of the church. Absolutely, I believe in unity of the church. But when he said, therefore, the very first word in that verse, he's like looking back and saying, now I've spent three chapters telling you who you are. I've spent three chapters reminding you that you're holy, that you're redeemed, and that you are on the same page, that I, sitting up here on this pedestal, I'm not any better than you out there. I'm righteous and holy, but so are you. And so he he uses this word, I urge you to walk worthy. Worthy basically means an equal weight. It's like one's conduct and balance. Like if this is who you really are and you understand who you are, then it would make sense that the way that you live your life matches your identity, and who you are. So walk worthy of that. And he says calling. I always have said, you know, in this group right here, that the, the will of God is, for all, is the same for all of us, uh, which is different than the calling. The will of God is for us to walk by a spirit. But the calling is like what we do. Like, I, I, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor, I'm a chaplain, whatever, and you guys are construction guys and bankers and teachers and nurses and so forth. 
that's the calling. So we play out this, who we are, our identity through our calling. But right here, he's specifically saying, your calling is of being a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the calling that we're talking about. So walk worthy of that. Paul's thought is that sinners were called into salvation and then made saints. So therefore, we should walk as saints. Now, I'm going to take a sidebar here. I I was... I, I run in different circles than a lot of you, and so I read about pastors and teachers and stuff. But uh, I don't know if you know Matt Chandler, but he's a pastor of a big church in Dallas, Texas. And uh, some of my friends actually go to his church. But this last Sunday, he got up and announced that he was being suspended for having a private conversation with a woman, which was not sexual or romantic. It was just inappropriate in course. And it, he, got, he got called out by this lady's friend who said it was inappropriate, so he took it to the staff and the elders, and they're like, yeah, you've kind of broke the policies of the church by having course conversation. And I said to my wife, I'm like, if that's me, I'm done. I, I, I'm done. If if I'm going to be nailed for inappropriate language or inappropriate, you know, discussion with people, my gosh, Troy's going to get me fired, sending me all these texts. <laughs> Isn't that right? It's like everybody in here, he sends these if you look at my, they literally took his phone and gave it to a lawyer and had him go through his texts and stuff. I'm like, I'm done, man. And I'm telling you right now, it says as an overseer, as a pastor, that we're to be above reproach. And reproach basically means to uh, a cause of occasion of blame or discredit or to disgrace. I'm telling you that I have a flesh suit. And I, I will fail you. I will tell you, if you put me on this pedestal, I know that I'm the leader, whatever, the director of Leavener, the pastor, the chaplain, but I promise you I'm going to fail you. And if you, if you put such reproach of, of, you know, on this pedestal, uh, I get it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be graceful. I'm going to be as I represent, you know, Levner in public and things like that. But uh, I'm, I'm as human as you guys. And, and I'm supernatural at the same time because he made me supernatural. But man, uh, I, I pray for Matt. I pray for his church. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how it, Again, splits everybody's right and left on this whole thing, and it's just stupid. It's just stupid. But I think this is Paul's whole point is about walking in unity. He says, one, do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Let me break that down for you. Humility just is this lowliness. Like, like I'm, I'm being honest with you right now. And I'm trying to be humble about 
the position that I'm sitting in in this chair is like uh, I can be humble about my behavior, uh, but I'm going to boast about my identity. And then he says in gentleness, and I have to say meekness, that's, that's not kind of weakness. It's this power under control. It's this, it's this ability. It's, honestly, it's this ability just to shut your mouth sometimes. I have to do that. I have to learn to shut my mouth sometimes. I have to learn to take my thumbs off that thing. Um, he says patience. Basically, that's long-suffering, long-tempered. It, it's the ability to in, endure discomfort without fighting back. My flesh wants to fight back so many times. My flesh wants to say things. My flesh wants to destroy things. But there's this peace within me that says, Hey, I got this. I got this. He says forbearance. He's like, with patience and bearing with one another in love, this forbearance, it's accepting one another, a grace that I don't think can be experienced apart from love. And of course, we're to bear with one another in love. I, my example is Jesus. That's it. I have to look higher than anybody in this room. I have to look to Jesus, and I would hope that you do the same thing when you're dealing with me. Look higher than me. It's this spirit, the sphere of love that, that God, the Holy Spirit, produces in your heart that a yielded, someone who uh, succumbs to the Spirit, you are naturally going to be kind to others. That's just part of it. The love that was shown at Calvary was a forgiving love, and honestly, ours should be the same. Verse 3, it says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here we go with that word, uh, unity. The unity, keeping unity, to endeavor to make every effort to diligently keeping unity of the Spirit, to maintain or to guard. These are all words that he's trying to express here. How, how do you do that? And it says, through the bond of peace. I truly believe when the bond of peace rules in our hearts, then we will build unity. If unity is my goal and I am doing things behaviorally to keep that unity, I am probably missing out. Unity is not something that we uh, try to achieve. It's something to be recognized. I, I'm, you know, I've seen my fill of church meetings and church voting and church discussions and things like that and we have to be on the same page you have to be on the same page look if jesus christ is the focal point if if, if literally if i can turn away from you if i can turn away from you and focus on jesus and you can do the same thing we'll have unity the unity is only going to come from our focus on Jesus. If we begin focusing on the little things, and I, I say this all the time, Brandon, Liam, bless him today. He's doing that rib fest. You guys go 
eat today and enjoy because Brandon and Sherry and all of them have done an incredible job pulling things together. A uh, little promotion there, but he was at my house uh, Friday, and uh, we were we were just I totally just lost where I was going with that, but uh, uh, I, I chased the whole rib fest thing. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I totally lost focus on it. Go to Ribfest. <laughs> That's what I was supposed to say. <laughs> he sat there with me for like two hours, so no telling what all he said in two hours. But uh, <laughs> I love Brandon. Uh, verse 4, it says there, this. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. Unity built on anything other than Bible truth is just like this shaky foundation. Paul, literally, he starts to name seven basic spiritual realities that will unite all of believers. One of them right here, he says, one body. This, this body that we're talking about is the Invisible Church, capital C. Those that are believers in Jesus Christ, this is the, the body, the mystical body of Christ composed of believers that were saved from the point of Pentecost all the way to the point when Jesus returns. That's the church. We are one body. Yeah, we're meeting in all different locations this morning and across the world and yada yada, but if Jesus is our focus, we're one. And he says, and one spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwells every believer this is, this is the point that's missed so many times, is if we're of one spirit, we have the same spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit living in my mortal body. You, you realize what you're looking at. Yeah, you're looking at Rusty's flesh, but it's indwelled by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I'm pretty stoked about that. And then he says, and to the one hope at your calling, go back to chapter 1, verse 13, it says, in him you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. I, I, this is my calling. I'm going to walk this earth with this spirit inside of me and I'm going to be a light in the darkness. The light will always overcome the darkness. Do I have to say anything? <laughs> Most of the time I don't. When I walk into the room, well, here comes the pastor, here comes the chaplain. I get, I get all that. But it's not because of that, it's because there's a holiness about me. And I'm not boasting about myself but what Christ has done in me and so literally this is my calling is to walk this earth with one hope and then verse 5 he says one Lord one faith one baptism one Lord who is that that's Jesus Christ it's difficult to believe that that two believers can claim to obey the same Lord and yet they're not able to walk together in unity that's because we've lost focus of what's important. 
what is the priority? I, I get it. I get distracted. I get upset. I get upset with you. I get upset with my family. I get distracted. It happens. He says one faith. The faith is not the Christian faith as a, a system of doctrine and its respective responsibilities. It's really referring to the, the principle of faith by which we've entered salvation. I have salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that, I'm the same as you right here. We have one faith. We have one baptism. There was and is one common placing into the body of Christ. When he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles being together, he talked about one baptism. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. He's driving home the point that everybody in this room is one. We're one. Yeah, we have difference of opinions. We get mad at each other. But we're one. Don't forget that. We're one. And it's not because of ourselves. It's because of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 6, he continues, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. One God, the Father. We are children in the same family. When I say, hey brother, hey sister, I truly mean it because that's what Christ has done. Loving and serving, we we talked about all the things that we're doing and we're getting old and too old to do the things that we're doing, but we're still serving the Father. We're still serving the Father and I believe that it's through His abilities and through His strengths that we're capable of doing that. For Paul, the unity of the, the church reflects, obviously, the unity of the Godhead. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit. He's like, they're one, we're one. Verse 7 says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of gifts. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I said this on Facebook this morning, is that you received a gift. Everybody in this uh, room that believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has received a gift. But it also says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Like, the measure of gifts is different. But what I believe that he's saying right here, based upon where it goes next week, starting in verse 11, I'm going to get through 10 today, but getting through verse 11, you can go to Romans, you can go to Ephesians, you can go to 1 Corinthians, and you can list all the spiritual gifts. This is where the church has you all take spiritual gift analysis and you figure out what you are. Then they start assigning you tasks and committees and everything else to get involved. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> I don't think the Spirit ever intended for that to happen. I, I honestly believe that he's gifted everybody in this room with some sort of measure of spiritual gift. We'll get to what all those gifts are. I don't think it has necessarily to do with talent either. I don't. I think he uses our abilities 
for sure. But he uses this gift, one, to keep us in unity, to keep us unified. And it's him working through us that we edify the spirit by working with each other. Like, the abilities and the giftedness of this group right here is able to accomplish much. And I'm not talking about physically. Yeah, we can. But I'm talking about spiritually. Like, if you if you just like walk out of this room right here, this group of people has an incredible impact on our community. The reason that you're here probably is because somebody in here has had an impact on you. And I, I totally believe that, okay, so you're sitting here and you go, okay, well, so what's my spiritual gift? I would say this. I'm not going to give you any type of test or analysis or anything like that. I'm definitely not going to give you an assignment in this body. But I would say this is hang out with this fellowship and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what your giftedness is and he will use it in this group right here. I've got people all the time that come and go, how can I get involved? How can I get involved? I'm like, just come hang out. And really, figure it out. Figure it out. I, I'm not going to buttonhole you. And I'm definitely not going to pressure you into like moving chairs. Although that would be great. Uh, you, you sit there and ask, what is your spiritual gift? I, I probably I probably could tell you what your spiritual gift is just by hanging out with you. Most of you I could in this room. I could identify it for you. Because I hang out with you, I, I'm involved with you. And that's all I'm saying is be involved in the fellowship and figure out what your gift is. Something that edifies Christ through the people or body of Christ. Then verse 8. He says, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to the people. Literally, Paul is quoting David in Psalm 68, 18. And so you, you, you say, well, why is he going there when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to people? It says, or he led the captives. The, the word here is not necessarily... Charisma referring to special gifts, such as those that are listed throughout the scripture in 1 Corinthians and such. But he's talking about a general term, doma, that which is given. These, these gifts are gifted men that are mentioned in verse 11. We'll get there. Christ gave these gifts to the church when he ascended to heaven. It says in verse 9, but what does... He ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. I'm going to give you two interpretations of that passage, of those two verses right there. Uh, When it says that he, he who ascended also descended, I would say this, during the Old Testament time, the souls of the dead went to this lower parts of the earth called Sheol. That's the Hebrew word for the underworld. The Greek term for that would be Hades. 
So Sheol and Hades is the same thing. It's the underworld. I've explained this in here several times, but you always try to explain it for those that are new. And Sheol and Hades has two sides to it. If you go to Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Abraham, uh, and the safe side that has several several reference to it, it's referred to as Abraham's bosom, it's referred to as paradise uh, in Luke 23. And the lost side is what is called hell. It's a place of torment for the unrighteous. So when Jesus physically died, his body was placed in a tomb. His soul and spirit went to the saved side of Sheol and Hades, known as paradise. And Jesus made this proclamation that we saw in 1 Peter 3.19 to the saints, to the spirits, on the hell side. He's like, I'm the Savior, the Messiah that you never saw. I'm here. God will not allow for Jesus to remain in Sheol, and obviously he ascended, Psalm 16.10, so he was joined with the resurrected, resurrected body, and he ascended to hell ascended to heaven. That's one interpretation. What if it's a reference referring to Jesus descending to earth as a human being, which he did. He had to come out of his heavenly throne in the form of a baby, carpenter, walk this earth, tell the good news. He descended to earth and then ascended. What if it a third interpretation is, what if it is the Spirit that descended in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, actually, uh, being sent to live in each believer? I, I don't know. I don't know what Paul is referring to. But no matter what, Paul taught that Christ is the giver of these gifts through the Holy Spirit. He ascended to heaven as the victor. When he talks about us being captives, he's really talking not about his enemies, but about being his own. He's captivated us. Sinners who were once captives by sin and Satan now have been taken captive by Christ. No matter what, no matter what you have, you have the Spirit living in you. And I'll tell you this, you have been gifted by the Spirit to love one another. Therefore, edifying God the Father, Jesus the Son, through we work through this indwelling Spirit. If we... If we as a body can figure that out. And I don't mean just Leavener. I mean the church, the capital C. You imagine? <laughs> you imagine if what the kingdom here on earth would look like? If we all were one in the body, one in the spirit one in faith, one in baptism. Again, it all comes back to Jesus.
stay focused on Jesus. Lord, I, I trust you with your word. I thank you for this morning just um, continuing to break down and see that we were totally gifted by you to edify one another and to edify you and that you may be glorified in all that we do and all that we say and all that we accomplish together as the body of Christ. So Lord, uh, I pray for revelation today. pray that you just continue to unpack truth with my friends here and myself. And just thank you for this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.